Welcome, everybody, back to another episode, WestVancouver.com, West Vancouver Magazine Podcast. Yes, I do like saying that title, and the other thing I do like doing is having fabulous and famous people. Oh, my gosh, this one is a good one here, because in Hollywood North, we have uh, lots of glam. We have it in front of the camera. We have it behind the camera. We have the people that make it happen, and live on air with me today is one of those uh, people who make it all happen. We have uh, Sean Williamson here with us from Bright Light Pictures. It doesn't get any better than this when it comes to lights, camera, action. Sean, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> now, I can only imagine um, what you've seen over 20 years of, we'll call it movie making, TV making. You've been involved in kind of all aspects of it. You also, rumor has it, you're from North Vancouver. So where did this all start? Well, I did. I did grow up in North Van. I went to Argyle. And uh, so I'm a North Van boy originally, <laughs> but it started out organically out of theater. I started working in, I, I went to university for a very brief moment. It discovered it wasn't really for me and ended up working at the Arts Club Theater where I did an apprenticeship and ultimately worked in all kinds of different technical and behind the scenes positions over the years and ended up there as a stage manager before I transitioned into film and television. So you weren't the guy up front doing the tap dancing. You were always the guy kind of behind the scenes helping put it all together. Is that kind of accurate? Or do you have... <laughs> Very, very comfortable <laughs> never being on stage. I have no talent whatsoever, so I'm very, very happy behind behind the camera. Well, that is completely not true because you clearly have um, absolute mounds of talent to be able to survive in what is an incredibly difficult industry and sometimes made more difficult by the fact that, you know, you're Canadian, we're over the border here. I, I know L.A. is a tough scene as well for anybody looking to make it big, but you, you've clearly made it big. You've clearly made your mark as both a person, Sean Williamson, and as a, a production company in Bright Light. So what exactly would you say your job title is? And, you know, I talk to people all the time who are not in the movie industry, and they go, well, I know what the makeup girl does, and I think I know what the director does, and, you know, I get what the props guy does, but tell me, what does someone in your position in producing actually do? What's your kind of day-to-day -day on stuff? Well, it, it, it really does vary. Different producers <laughs> do very different jobs. So some are are working in development and, you know, finding scripts and packaging them, putting them together with other talent, with actors, directors, studios, money. And uh, some producers, uh, which is how I started, just grow up making movies. So Vancouver has generally been a destination for uh, foreign films. And it certainly now has blossomed and grown, matured into a, a, a proper production destination where you can finance and package films. Uh, but earlier on, it was a destination. So I grew up in the industry making movies and television shows for U.S. studios or foreign, you know, foreign financiers. Right. And uh, so, uh, so part of my job originally was simply to make the movie, and you are effectively the the employer on on set. You're the person that deals with the creative elements. You juggle all of the elements that you would think with actors, directors, the studio's desires and wants, the script. And uh, part of it is bringing the show in you know, for a certain amount of money. So you have a budget you're working towards and you're spending effectively every part of that budget. But uh, it's, it's largely people management. And our 
philosophical view in of producing comes from what I learned at the arts club as a stage manager really? that your job absolutely your your job is to support really uh, i don't technically do anything at all but <laughs> well, i am always well but i am always managing uh i'm always managing people in some way or situations or you know some crisis so you're a little bit of a firefighter and a crisis manager and you're a bit counselor for different people and you know, wow. people can be in tears in your office, and you're helping creatively on set. But the 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 what we learned in theater, what they teach you in theater as a stage manager, is to support the only three things that really matter in entertainment, and that is the script, uh, the director, and the cast. And mm-hmm. if you can, if you can, if those three are all supported and are strong, it's very difficult to have something fail because storytelling is storytelling. Whether you're doing it for you know in a small theater in North End, or you're doing it on a major blockbusting buster film. And so if, if those three are strong, uh, you know, you do, you're, if you're doing something like Deadpool, which is not one of our projects, but it's just a big, huge, epic show, but the script happens to be great, the cast are great, and the directors are great, then you've, you're likely to succeed. And it doesn't matter the budget, the number of explosions, the number of exotic locations. It just comes down to story and who's telling it and how is it being told. Wow. Well, I'm going to guess that there isn't a producer's school. This is something you had to really get in and get your hands on. As you said, your experience at Arts Club, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that kind of maybe parachute themselves in into a lot of positions and try to do it all. But it sounds like you really need to hone your focus and your talents on keeping all these balls in the air, herding cats. I mean, you know, this is, this is complicated stuff. And I imagine the bigger the story, the bigger the script and the bigger the cast, the more it can really run wildly out of control. So that sounds like that's the hardest part. What is the best part of your job? Oh, people, you know, telling stories and, and so working with, you know, people and 90, you won't hear the odd horror story, but 99% of the time, people love doing this for, you know, we're making television, we're telling stories, we're making films and such. It it doesn't really matter. And when you compare what we do to firefighters and teachers and nurses and people that actually make a difference, uh, you know, where you, when you can find people that have that in perspective, you really recognize how blessed and how lucky we are to do this for a living and make money and be able to, you know, uh, you know, create a career out of something that is not life and death, you know, assuming nobody, you know, is ever injured on set <laughs> sure, or you know, yeah. such. But basically, we're we're telling stories. And it's an ama- I was so fortunate and blessed to have found sort of my path early and stay with it. So it uh, so the best part of my job generally are the people you're working with. Wow. You know, people and still having that kind of enthusiasm. And I can tell the genuineness in your voice that you really do still have to like people. I myself, uh, as a writer, I completely understand what you're saying. The fact that you're talking to a real human being and you get to tell that story is an incredible privilege and you really do need to like people in all their forms and all their in all their glory whether they're having a good day or a bad day you really have to be there for them and and listen to it and i think obviously this is a good sign of a good director now speaking of people i'm gonna rattle off here and embarrass you a little bit and speaking of 20 years i'm gonna guess that uh that's approximately how long ago i met you i'm dating both of us here because you were producing three films at this time and it was a big moment i believe in the bright lights 
um, timeline because I walked in and here was a Michael Keaton. He was involved in the first White Noise movie that you did. Here was Martin Short doing the Jiminy Glick thing. And right over to my right was the very handsome Chris Klein. He was doing Long Weekend. These are like big names that you started with, but to keep rattling them off from there, you've gone on to, there's so much in the portfolio. Nicolas Cage in The Wicker Man. You have Al Pacino in 88 minutes. We have, um, we have Anne Hathaway here. We have Halle Berry. You have a couple of projects with a Seth Rogen, whom we all adore as one of our own Vancouverites, Order of Canada or Canada Walk of Fame. I, I saw him recently with that. Um, the movie 50-50, and again, not without controversy, the movie The Interview. I agree there was something with that, the North Korea. It got the attention of the world stage for probably the wrong reasons at the time, but it was a comedy. Um Netflix, NBC, Prime Video, Disney, Nickelodeon, and of course your your project is your with ABC, The Good Doctor, which you are uh, is co-producing the right name with the star of the show, Freddie Highmore. How do we? Where are the memorable moments for you in that large list? And of course, the list is even larger than we mentioned. Give us some of your memorable moments over the years. Start us off uh, right back where I kind of put us with the white noise Michael Keaton moment. I believe that was a big part of the history of Bright Light. Well, White Noise was accidentally the largest film that we own that we produced early on. And so it was a it was a smaller $10 million project that we put together with a company called Gold Circle out of LA uh, and UK. So it was done as a British-Canadian co-production. So it was something that we developed with a guy named Paul Brooks out of Gold Circle. And, uh, and managed to sort of put together financing the way many Canadian independent features do with all kinds of different you know, financing structures, not the way the American studios do it, where they just pay for everything. We have to go and co sort of cobble money together from different sources. We, put, we had a great script. We had a great director. We had a great cast, of course, with Michael and, and others. And we, um, uh, we made the movie. And Universal came in, uh, watched the film in the edit room, and bought it out of the editing room, wow. so, which was awesome. But it was really <laughs> because cool. the script, it was well executed. Uh, you know, we, we made a good movie with great talent, and uh, it went on to make a lot of money. And as a small or medium-sized Canadian movie, it was awesome because it, it put us on the map in Hollywood. So it meant that suddenly the agencies who sometimes Canadian producers have a hard time getting on the phone. And Hollywood is run really by two things. The studios and the talent agents or the lit agents, the people that control the, the actors and the writers and directors. And getting them on the phone can be very challenging. And so after you've made a movie that you actually produce, you actually own, that was something that we developed, and you see uh, uh, Hollywood can see that, they take you differently. They sort of see you differently. And they see yeah, you as you what they consider belt, to be right? a producer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. They, so that, that's why that film you know, helped. And so it also happened at a time when uh, there were some tax credit changes happening in British Columbia and some incredible increases happened in Ontario. And I had done an interview just as that movie was opening uh, for The Sun, and it became accidentally front page news with a, a bit of misinformation that suggested that we were moving our company to Ontario to enjoy the higher credits there. And which was not exactly accurate. We were budgeting Ontario, but it created a great stir here because we suddenly had the number one movie in the theaters in North America and we're leaving British Columbia. And it was like, okay, not exactly right. 
So oh, no. it got the attention of the provincial government, and I think it was Gordon Campbell, who was premier at the time, called and said, hey, dude, like, back off. It's like, <laughs> I didn't say this. Like, I, I actually didn't say we're the media we're got it wrong? That never happened. <laughs> I don't know that they got it wrong. As it was perhaps just, you know, the things I said, I said, but... I said we were budgeting another territory, which we do all the time. We've shot movies all around the world, and we will always go where we need to to, to make a movie. But it, wow. it just – unfortunately, it was a, an unfortunate spin at the, as that film was becoming a success. And, of course, I have no desire to leave British Columbia. We love it here. Oh, wow. Well, British Columbia loves having you here. And, I mean, you've gone on from there. Uh Give us some of the idea of, of sort of a favorite type of project do you like working on? I know you have a great involvement with um, Hallmark is, is very prominent in the Vancouver scene here. Um, you, all you have to do is go to the Lee Awards to understand that one. I think every movie and actor there is involved in the Hallmark Channel's investment in this portion of the, you know, sorry, this location, at least as Vancouver and the talent here. But what kind of projects do you like taking on and Bright Light taking on? I don't know that we have a genre or a specific style. For us, it comes down to finding good stories. Right. So we're, we're shooting a, a new movie right now called Float, which is spectacular, and the script is amazing, and it's a great director out of Toronto who's an up-and-coming talent. So for us, we, it's finding these things. And so Good Doctor, one of the, the nice things about Good Doctor isn't just that Freddie Highmore is an amazing talent, and but the scripts that come up are spectacular so the story and they're very well timed in that we well COVID was happening and such we addressed COVID as a medical show for the first few episodes last year and then uh, the writers made an active choice to not ignore COVID but not lean into it so and we made a little announcement at the beginning of that arc saying we acknowledge COVID and we acknowledge and please wear your masks and please take all the precautions you're not going to see us doing that in the show because we are pretending that this is a post-COVID world where we've gone back to normal. And there was something wow. about that at the time that we all kind of went, ooh, is this the right thing to do? And midway through the season airing, this was season four last year, we started to see this is people are enjoying this because it took you out of it. Yes. You aren't living in a COVID world and you aren't seeing people with masks in the background and you aren't having doctors having to address COVID in every episode. It just became a nice, warm show with warm human stories. And so going back to your question about which do I like, that's really what we love. There are episodes where you go, oh, God, I'll cry. Like, there's one we're yeah. shooting in uh, next week where you cry reading the script. It's so warm, so touching. And it's like that's what this is all about. It's how can you draw emotion out of what we're shooting and, and convey that to the audience in a way that it actually touches them. And that's what's awesome about what we do for a living. It's that we're telling stories that hopefully move people in some way, whether it's a comedy or a horror thing. And I'm horrible in horror movies. And when I went to the premiere of White Noise, I knew when the scary moments were, but I couldn't even watch the screen. I started watching the audience and trying to convince myself, oh, this is good. I can see how they react. Like, I can't even watch those. Well, I got to say, horrors are not my favorite either. I hide through my eyes. And uh, what's horrid for one person is horror. You know, like, I find thrillers, you know, like the, the, the Hitchcockian kind of things, scary too. But back to the good doctor, I do digress. I want to mention this. I don't know if anyone knows the little trivia moment on this. Maybe you can verify whether this is true or not. At the beginning of COVID, when the masks and the PPE, and we were all very short of supply, there's a little rumor running around that the set of the good doctor actually donated some of the gear which 
which you use on set, which is real PPE masks. I don't think, you know, we weren't donating ventilators or anything like that, but that you, uh, you contributed to the environment at that time by helping out where you could, giving them to some of the frontline workers. True or not true? That's true. There we, you go. There you go. scoured our sets in our props department and wardrobe department, and anything that was real that they could use, we sent to the you know, Vancouver Coastal Health. Well, you know, I thought I was going to make it through one interview. There's one one podcast without mentioning COVID, but you just can't. And one of your stars actually had high praise for Vancouver when he himself got sick with COVID and spent time in the hospital here. And uh, so I think, you know, bright light, whether you whether you deny it or not, when you bring people to Vancouver and you connect with people in Vancouver and bright light is part of that huge connection, people really like being here in Vancouver, don't they? Oh, uh, 99, I mean, uh, uh, pretty much always. If you're, people are coming to Vancouver, and they, especially if they live in L.A., it's you know, generally a very easy commute, easy to move back and forth. Yeah. It's a beautiful city. People are friendly. They tend not to you know, mob the celebrities that you might see in the street. People are, are cool. kind and thoughtful and <laughs> you know, generally give them all the, uh, you know, their space. So it's a, it's a nice, safe, fun place to be that's also close to L.A. and same time zone and easy to move back and forth. It, it and, does uh, make things easy, hey? But, uh, hey, I want to know your opinion on this one because we have streaming services. People talk about cutting the cord. Of course, that applies more for TV. And, again, we've got to say it, COVID, people were banned from going to the theater, big screen. I get the feeling actors and, and camera people hate that because when you're making a movie and you're on a project and you're, you've got everything here invested, and I'm not talking money invest. I'm talking all that great emotional investment that comes with making a great project like you just spoke of the big screen is as much a player in this as anything so we've got streaming services um we've got people at home with their own versions of big screens lots of innovations in tech what's the biggest change and there there's got to be more than one but pick one particularly for right now over 20 years that you have seen that has had the most effect on this industry the biggest technological change yes sure uh, two, well, two things that have changed in the industry. One is what you just described, the streamers. And the streamers have now become fully monetized. So they are effectively all real studios with Apple, Amazon, uh, you know, Disney, Disney is a studio anyway, but Disney Plus and uh, Netflix. So all of these things that were at one point looking to find a way to monetize product have found that way. And, and during COVID, of course, flourished because everybody could – you know, subscribe to all of these services and watch pretty much whatever they wanted at home. So that is the how we sell our product will continue to evolve. And the need to sell a, your film into the theatrical market to do what we did on White Noise or other movies back in that day ha, has significantly uh, changed. So how we shoot and technically what we shoot is identical. Not much has really changed. Of course, technology is much different. But from the 30s, you know, movies were being made in in a very similar manner, uh, you know, to as to what they are now. So there's huge. I mean, now we have digital and there's color and properly synced sound and of course all these things that have evolved (laughs) over the years. But the process of filming a performance, lighting that performance, rehearsing the performance, you know, building the sets and doing all the things, putting the actors in costumes and all of that is pretty much the same. Now, it's, we're more efficient. We have way more technical and creative ability with visual effects and sound design and such that never existed back then. So our creative uh, canvas is much, much larger now than it was then. Mm-hmm. And so the 
the two significant changes that have happened probably in the last 20 years would be the growth and uh, and the financial viability of the streamers and their ability to finance so much of our work and create so much more work because now there's a huge appetite. So, so many more films and television projects are being made now than ever were before. So that, that change is spectacular. And the decline of film as a medium to shoot on. So the last film I, the actual last time I shot on actual film, and there are people in our industry here who are working amongst us now who've never shot on film. But the last time I did it was nine years ago, perhaps. And it was Robert Redford who directed a film we did called The Company You Keep. And he was shooting on film and it wasn't a question. He was just shooting on film, but it's Robert Redford. Right. Now (laughs) you see people coming in and it's like, it isn't even really an option. Quentin Tarantino does it. Some, you know, very specific filmmakers continue to shoot on film, but for the most part, 95 to 99% of what is being shot now is shot digitally. Wow. Well, you know, we're all walking around. We call them phones, but they're really supercomputers. The, the the technology behind these cameras and what they can do with it is really pressing those who do it as an art and have studied it, the Tarantinos, the Redfords, yourself, etc. But, you know, you're getting a lot of kids coming out now. I, I get pitched almost every week. Oh, you've got to see the film my, my kid made, this or this, iMovie. All this software and technology has drifted down to the desktop. So the talent is being cultivated much earlier, I think, in the process. And people's ability to get their sample stuff out there is by all means it seems tons easier than you used to have to mail in your I guess your DVD and even that's kind of a modern take on it but you know the past is the past 20 years is now where are you going to be in the future Sean where's Bright Light and Sean Williamson going to be in five years from now last wrap-up question to you well, we will, I mean, uh, the, the kids, as we call them, who are producing here, there are four other producers other than myself in Bright Light and five in Lighthouse, you know, our affiliated company. And so it's these people who will be moving in and stepping into my shoes in the next while. So I've been doing this now for just as Bright Light for 20 years. But of course, you know, and I started the company with Steve Hedges, my partner at the time, 20 years ago at the Toronto Film Festival. That's and, right. I remember Steve. Sure. Yeah. So that... Um, uh, uh, so, you know, the, the, the new change will be bringing in these kids who are incredibly talented producers who are working with us now, producing some of our projects right now, and successful with or without the company, who will come in and begin to, uh, uh, begin to run things here. And I'll slowly do less and less, and I'll still always be here and keep working. I have no plan to ever retire, but I certainly have a plan to work less and not do quite as many shows as we might so but that's where the kids can come in and they can do it well i hope you go nowhere me and the rest of your fan base out there has loved every minute of it and i mean it's so exciting to know that you are one of uh, i'm gonna say one of the pioneers in bringing all this spectacular attention to vancouver and the hard work that you do congratulations sir 20 years is no easy feat would you come back and talk to us again i'd love to have you back in the future of course, of course. Well, that is just wonderful. You heard it here. I always like to ask everybody on the air so they don't have anywhere to run. But 
Sean Williamson, everybody, Bright Light Picture, 20-year anniversary. Take a chance. Look up the links below. We have all the information available for you down there. And as far as uh, listening to our podcasts, if you're already listening, well, that's great. As you know, we'll be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual channels. Otherwise, if that's too much, you can just go simply to westvancouver.com. Our magazine is out in print monthly, and I can't wait for you to come back. And until that time, everybody, stay in touch and save me a smile.